Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Franklin, Julie, Caroline, and Logan. Um, Hey, uh, if you guys have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and get that out. Uh, If you are uh, new to church, maybe this is your first time to church in a while or your first time to church ever, we want to welcome you uh, to Impact Church. I want to invite you to open up God's Word with us uh, today. And uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. And uh, if you're new to church and you're like, man, I don't have a Bible, I didn't bring a Bible, uh, feel free if you want to look on uh, with someone else or if you want to download an app, feel free to look on uh, your phone or a tablet as well. And uh, if you're like, how do I do that? You can download an app. I use one called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, and you can download that and uh, get a copy of God's Word and follow along with us. All right, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy, chapter 6 today. And as you guys are turning there, um, I just kind of want to go through a little bit of what uh, we've been doing. So over the last month or so, we have been walking through the book of 1 Timothy as a church. And one of the reasons is because it's written by a guy, uh, we would know him as the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's written by Paul to a guy named Timothy. Timothy's kind of like his son. It wasn't his son, but like a spiritual son, a mentoree. And uh, Timothy was the pastor of this new church plant in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was kind of a major port city, kind of a major city in the Roman Empire. And so uh, Paul went there. He helped start a church, uh, sent Timothy. Timothy came and started providing leadership for the church. But as you know, sometimes you're a new church and things start arising. Now, we're a new church, but we have at least some guidance and an instruction manual called the Bible. They didn't have this yet, right? And so they're like, you know, problems would occur, problems would happen in the new church. And they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't even think about that. Like, what are we supposed to do about it? And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy to try to explain a little bit about, hey, I know you're a new church. These are some things that are going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what would honor God. And so guys, listen, as we start this new church, man, I'm just passionate about this. I do not want to start a church based on my preferences. Like, I just believe there's probably a lot of things we do here at Impact that even I don't like. That even I'm like, man, this isn't, you know, this isn't the way, but this is God's way. Like, this is what God wants to do. And so, man, I don't want us to get five, ten years down the road and be like, man, we have a church that really fits Pastor Brandon's personality. Like, I hope that we look five or ten years down the road and go, man, I'm reading the Bible, and yep, 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 like, this really looks like what I see in the Bible, like, and we have a chance to do this now, like, you know, you can't always do this ten years from now, we have a chance to do it now, to look through the Bible and say, God, what is your 
word say about what we're supposed to do about this? And then we can read it and do what it says. And so that's kind of the journey we've been on the last month or two. Um, We've covered a lot of topics um, as we've started this new church. And may I just tell you guys, like starting a new church is not easy. Like, and uh, it's not easy for those of you who have uh, been here, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, helping us get started as a church. You know, man, it's not always been easy. Uh, some of you are here for the first time and you're going, yeah, like even now, like I feel a little uncomfortable. It's kind of weird. Like the lights are on and I'm not sure, you know, like I can, everybody can see me. And it's kind of a, a weird, like planting a new church is not always easy. But I wanted to tell you this, like as I was preparing this message, man, I was so thankful for you. Like, and I just wanted to say, like, if I haven't said often or enough, like I wanted you to hear me say to those of you here who are here today and those who have helped us start this church, thank you. Like, thank you so much for investing your time, your energy, not into Impact Church, but into following Jesus. Because the way that you have followed Jesus to come be a part of this, whether you were a part of it from the beginning or this is your first Sunday, thank you for even having the courage to be here today. Like, thank you so much for what you're doing. The way that you faithfully follow Jesus, the way that you go, man, I just want to be with Jesus and I want to follow him, like that inspires me. And so, uh, man, thank you guys so much for all you've done um, to help us get to this point. Um, And so as we get here, we're kind of rounding the corner, headed to the finish line in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, today, what we're going to talk about are a couple of, I don't know, the best word I could come up to describe them are blind spots. You guys know what a blind spot is? It's like when you're driving down the road. Right, And I know none of you have ever done this because you're all wonderful drivers, unless you happen to be from Maryland, in which case, uh, not. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Victor, and anyone else that I may have offended um, just then. But, uh, but we all know it's true, and uh, even people in Maryland know it's true. And so anyway, um, and so like I just, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, blind spots. So like blind spots are a real thing, right? Like you're driving down the road and uh, you're just like, oh yeah, uh, it's an open road. Nobody's been around. I'm just going to get on over here. And you go to get over and boom, there's like a car right there beside. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like, no, I know it's never, never happened to us, but it's a, it's kind of, that's a scary thing, isn't it? Like, Um, It's scary for the driver, but it's even more scary for every passenger that's in the car, right? Because they probably saw it, and they're like, oh, he's not going to get over. He's getting over. Like, what is he doing? And so it's kind of this scary moment, and the reason we call it a blind spot is because you're blind to that spot. Like there is one particular little spot that you cannot see. Even if you check this mirror and this mirror, you're not going to be able to see. This is why cars have put in like spent thousands of dollars to put in cameras in every angle so that now we can see cameras, but we even ignore those sometimes. Like that's what blind spots do is uh, if you're not careful, you can't see them. You don't even know the danger is there, but it's there. And then eventually, if you start to veer off a little bit, you come head to head with that danger. And that's what a blind spot is. I I had a couple of blind spots, um, especially, man, early on in my marriage. Um, And I want to tell you something, like if you think, like in your life, maybe not driving a car, but just in your life, like think about things that you may have in your life that you're like, you know, could be a blind spot, like something that may be going wrong or might be dangerous in your life that you don't even know about. 
And uh, one of the best ways to find out if you have any blind spots is to get married. Because uh, you get married and now you have like someone for the rest of your life to show you all of your blind spots, all right? It's just like all of a sudden you're, you know, think everything's good and they look at you and they're like, oh, nice haircut. Not that that happened to me this weekend, but I'm just saying like, you know, you just never know. When I first got married, the first major blind spot that I found out that I had is that apparently you're, there's a, there comes a point in your life you're supposed to not own that time frame existed. Like I didn't know there was a certain time period that you all of a sudden it was not appropriate to in your wardrobe have 47 t-shirts all of them from college but I can tell you uh, for me it was the week after my wedding is when I found out that that is no longer appropriate to have 47 t-shirts from college and so immediately it was just like we're unpacking and we're putting all of our stuff together and Ellen's like you have how many t-shirts like and I'm like oh that's just the first box like let me show you all of these you know and and she's like I've never even seen you wear these t-shirts and I'm like I know but I'm going to like I I do like you know I'll wear them to the gym she's like you don't go to the gym I'm like but I'm going to like this is this is great like these are my shirts you know and then uh and then one day uh for my birthday I received a quilt yeah that had all of my t-shirts on it it was like, so it was the best of both worlds. Here, you can no longer wear these, but here, you may have them. You may still keep them in our house. Um, I had another blind spot that I realized when we started having kids, and uh, I did not realize just how, like, how much uh, sarcasm existed in my body. Like, I had no idea, and I was just like, until I started having kids, and I would say something that was sarcastic that would make most people laugh, that now all of a sudden, I'm cuddling a three-year-old saying, Daddy's so sorry. I didn't mean it, okay? You're, I didn't mean it, I promise. Like, that's what sarcasm does a little bit, or even for people, where am I sarcastic people at? And you know you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, it doesn't, kids don't pick up on sarcasm, you know, and, uh, and so, like, that was a major blind spot for me, uh, kids and Britter, like, we just don't pick up <laughs> sarcasm, and so it's funny, because when the Kinseys first moved here, Britter was like, literally, can I get a sarcasm, like, alert, like, anytime you're about to be sarcastic, can you just tell me, so I don't go home and cry every time I hang out with you, and it's like, yes, I will, we will do that for you, um, and so that was a blind spot, that was something I just assumed everybody was sarcastic, that every day was an episode of The Office, and it was just fun, like, everyone just loved that, and then I realized, no, that's a blind spot, that doesn't always happen. Well, guys, today, um, we're going to talk about some blind spots in our walk with Jesus, and, and as Paul is finishing up this letter, he kind of just wants to start writing about, man, if you're following Jesus, here's a couple of things that are really sneaky that if you're not careful will sneak up into your life. And, uh, and he's going to talk about a couple, but here's the main one. So if you're taking notes, you can write this word down. The blind spot that we're going to talk about today is the blind spot of discontentment. Discontentment. It's a blind spot. We may not even realize how discontent we really are. And then all of a sudden, the words that we use, the things that we say, the way that we talk about things, the way that we receive information, all points to, man, I wonder if that's a blind spot in our lives that we have just become a discontent people. 
And so I want to tell you that there's good news today, all right, because as we go through this passage, I want to share with you um, that I believe that, and this is just for me personally, this isn't, you know, I didn't get this directly from the Bible, but this is just me um, telling you the two best ways that I have combated blind spots in my life is number one, the Bible, and number two, Christian community. Those two things are your security cameras as you're driving through life to let you know what's really there, even though you may not see it. Because the Bible, even though we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. And you can look in the Bible, and the book of James says, like looking into a mirror. And you look in it, and you read it, and you don't like what it says sometimes because it's about you. And so the Bible is a really good camera to say, hey, this might be in your life. And then Christian community is really good. When a bunch of people get together and say, yeah, Brandon, well, everybody knows you're like the sarcasm king. And I'm like, oh, that hurt my feelings. I'm not the king. I'm maybe a jester, but I'm not the king, like the sarcastic king. And, uh, and they go, no, of course you are. And you learn something about yourself. So the Bible and Christian community. But today, like, I want us to really take a look. And so are we discontent? So let's, let's get started here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's start in verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Now, I'm not skipping the first two verses. If this is your first time with us, we did those last week. You can go back and listen to those on the podcast. All right, here we go. We'll pick up in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving. Maybe you would underline that phrase. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, (laughs) which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is just a means of gain. Now let's stop right there. Man, there's a lot to unpack in this passage, and I don't know about you, but maybe the wheels are already turning where you're like, yeah, no, I, I can sense that. And so uh, here's what's going to happen today in this passage we're going to read. We're going to read these verses and a few more verses after this. The Apostle Paul is going to address two cravings. Because when we talk about discontentment, discontentment, like I want you to think about um, just not being satisfied. Okay, so for me, um, this idea of discontentment comes from, the best way I know to describe it is uh, the restaurant Panera. Okay, it's the easiest way I know how to describe it. Where are my Panera fans at? Okay, you are not going to like this. So I, personally, I just, I don't like Panera. Like, I have a problem with Panera because I go to Panera, I hang out with people at Panera, I go, I get my soup, I get my salad, I, I take out a loan to get the soup and the salad, I pay $25, and then I get done with the conversation, and yes, it was by a fire, and yes, I filled up my coffee cup three times, and then we leave the meeting, and I have to go to Wendy's, because I'm still hungry, okay? Like, you go to Panera, I've never spent so much money to still be so hungry afterwards, and, uh, and so that's just my gripe about Panera, okay? But, so I go to Panera, 
and I have a discontentment in me. Now, I want you to hear me say, church, I love you. And if Panera is your spot, I will sacrifice for you. I love you. I will meet you at Panera. I will even pay for it with the church credit card. Like, I, will, I love you. Okay, I love you. But, but I just, air is not my jam, all right? And so I, I just, I, it leaves me feeling a little discontentment because I'm not fully satisfied, okay? And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about discontentment is that feeling of like you keep filling up, but you're just not satisfied. Like you don't have that feeling like you just went to Outback Steakhouse, you know, where you just are somewhere you like that you just feel completely satisfied. And so we're going to talk about these in terms of cravings, things that you crave that may not fill you up or satisfy you. So here's the first craving that we're going to talk about is that some people crave controversy, complaints, and quarrels. They crave it. Now, I don't know if you know any people like this, all right? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or point any fingers or don't even make eye contact with anybody, okay? Like, I don't know if you know any people that are like this, but there just are, like, some people in life who it just seems like they're always looking for the next controversy, right? Listen to how Paul talks about this, where he says they have an unhealthy craving for controversy. Because some people, would say, well, I'm not trying to stir up controversy. I just, I address things head on, or I just tell it like it is, or I'm just a straight shooter, okay? There are ways to do those things without craving constantly in an unhealthy way, stirring up controversy, okay? There are, there are healthy ways to be confrontational, and then there are unhealthy ways to be confrontational, and that's what this is talking about. It's like always, look, look, it says craving controversy, looking for quarrels. Quarrels like, like arguments, like always getting, butting heads with people. But look what it says, quarrels about words. Isn't that amazing? And we see this all the time, right? We see it on social media where it's like somebody posted something, they're like, well, I see what you're saying, but you used the word and, and I don't think it's and, that I think it's, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, okay, fine, I'll get rid of the word. Like, it, there's just certain people where, you ever been there where it's like, you can't, you feel like you can't say anything right because every single word is being judged, and then they get upset with something you said, and you're like, that's not even the point of what I said. I don't even remember using that word. Like, it just kind of happens. Sometimes this can even happen. Um, among like churches who try to do like Bible studies or things like that, right? And this is why our community groups are so much more than just Bible studies. Like, yes, we study God's word in our community groups, but that's not all that we do because sometimes I've been a part of these Bible studies where the people sit around a table and they go through the Bible and they just try to mince every single word of the Bible. And these people, they haven't looked at the Greek meaning or anything. They're trusting whatever they read on Google or just... My favorite is, well, what it means, what it's saying to me is, the Bible doesn't say anything to you, it just says, okay? Like, it's not, we don't care what it says to you, the point is, what is it saying, okay? Like, what does it say? And, and this is the point, sometimes we do this with the Bible, is we take a little word out of context, and then we want to have a whole Bible study just about this one word and what it means, and, and here's how you know, because some of you go, well, Brandon, that's not always bad. Are you saying, like, digging down deep into the word is is bad? No. 
But here's how you'll know if it's good or bad. What does it produce? What does it produce? Does it produce unity and spiritual fruit? Does it produce people who are walking away feeling closer to Jesus? Or does it produce envy? Does it produce dissension? Does it produce slander? Where all of a sudden someone comes and they're talking to you and now all of a sudden they're talking to you about someone else. And then all of a sudden you're trying to be a safe place and listen to them, but now all of a sudden you're not saying anything, but you're a bystander of slander. What does it produce? When someone says, I just want to talk to you about it, or I'm not going to out this person, but is it producing fruit or is it producing slander? Evil suspicions. Do people walk away going, man, what was their motive? What was all that about? And constant friction. Man, if you're a person in the room and you're like, man, everywhere I go, every friend group I have, it's always drama. Have you ever considered... You said it, not me. All right, so here's the warning about this blind spot. Have nothing to do with spiritual division. Have nothing to do with spiritual division. Guys, unless it's a gospel issue, smile, love one another, and bow out gracefully. Like unless, you know, and because here's the problem. The problem is there were false teachers coming into the church. And a lot of times we think false teachers look like someone who's going to walk into this door, stand on this stage behind this table, and say something outwardly wrong that everybody knows is wrong. Those false teachers are very few and far between. Because most of them who do it that way already have their platforms. They don't need this one. Most of the false teachers in the church today, especially a church plant, are going to sneak in. They're going to come in through community groups. They're going to come in through serve teams. They're going to come in just by casual conversations. And you go, well, Brandon, how will I know? Well, there will be an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which will produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. They will imagine that godliness is just their means to a gain. So how do we combat this? Like, how do we combat this craving so that it's not a blind spot? How do we combat the craving that might bring division? Like, what do we do, right, if this is happening maybe in our life? Or maybe, like, God forbid, some of us are hearing this and going, man, I might do some of that. Like, like maybe some of my conversations or maybe some of the things I post on social media. Like, <clears throat> I might be participating in this a little bit. And let me just say this too, a lot of times we think that it's okay as long as we only talk this way with our family. But can I just encourage you that there are no boundaries put on this. That just because you say, well, we only talk about, we only slander people as a family. Okay, that is not a family activity. Like, we don't want to gather the children together. And say, man, let's talk about, you know, little Timmy, I mean, we don't want to do that. And you go, well, Brandon, we don't have kids. It's just me and my wife. It's still not okay. 
Like having these types of conversations with slander and envy and being, being envied just because you're with another company who agrees with you doesn't make it right. They're just in the same car with the same blind spot. And so here's how we combat this. I just don't want you to confuse company with rightness. Okay? Here's how we combat this. We combat this by being content in the gospel. When you can't be content with the words that people use, when you can't be content by a teaching that you hear, when you can't be content by a friend group or by a post you see on social media, when you can't find contentment because you realize, man, now I've realized even some of this exists under my own roof that I come home to, realize it is not a problem just with your family. It is a problem with our heart. But I have really good news for you today is that Jesus specializes in our hearts. Like, He doesn't want to fix your social media posts. You know, Jesus ain't scrolling your, your Snapchat. Jesus ain't scrolling your Instagram feed. Like, He's not doing that. You know what He's scrolling? Your heart. Because from it comes a wellspring of life. And so, guys, like, if you want to combat the discontentment, the craving of controversy, of complaining, and of having quarrels. The way you do that is by receiving constant encouragement from the gospel. That Jesus, even though he didn't know sin, became our sin. Who humbled himself, not even just humbled, but to the point of death, and not even just death, but death on a cross. Like, like you remind yourself of what Jesus did for you. Yes, I'm envious of this person. Yes, this person hurt me. Yes, I disagree with the decisions this person is making. But then you can just go to Jesus and say, but Jesus loves them. And Jesus knows them. And Jesus can change their hearts. Because so many times we want to, this stuff of envy and complaining and controversy comes from us wanting to change other people's behavior. But guys, changing someone's behavior is never effective. Only the gospel can change someone's heart. The fact that Jesus died for us, the fact that he picked himself up from the dead three days later, the fact that he loves us, the fact there's nothing you could do that make him abandon you, that he loves you so fiercely and loyally. Like, guys, that is good news that will help us combat the discontentment of our hearts. All right, let's keep, let's keep reading because there is one more craving. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's read in verse 6. But, now that's a really good word in the Bible, all right? Uh, my three-year-old gets in trouble for saying it, but the Apostle Paul says it in a really good way right here. Because what it means is, some of us are going, Brandon, dude, you're bringing that on a Sunday morning? Like, give me some coffee next time. Like, that's heavy. But what we see is like Paul is about to bring us a solution. So he says, yes, here is what's happening, but here's, here's something to consider. So, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, some of y'all just got a new life verse today. That's amazing. Isn't that verse incredible? Let's read it again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, some of us, 
you've been going to church for a while, doing the church thing, and you, you've got the godliness thing down. You're like, man, I'm, I believe in God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing the thing. I'm trying to be more like Jesus. I got that. The problem is you're always discontent about something. There, you're always feeling this lack of satisfaction in your life. And so the Apostle Paul says one of the ways you combat all of this stuff is you take your godliness and you combine it with contentment. And you will find great gain in that. All right, let's keep reading. Four, we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. Do you guys know that? But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, or your version may say trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. These are hard words. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The second craving that Paul addresses in this passage is that some people crave money. Some people crave money. You may say, well, Brandon... To be honest with you, I appreciated everything you said. I took some good notes about that first passage because I got some people in my life I think that would really help. But I'm not really discontent with the words that I use or my attitude. I feel like I've got that pretty much on lock. Not really a blind spot for me. I'm going to share this with my spouse later, but not for me. I'm, I'm pretty good when it comes to this. Now let me ask you about this. What about the blind spot of money? And, and here's, here's what we have to understand, is that we look at that and we write down some people crave money, and we immediately say that's not us. Because here's what happens. You, like so many of us, especially in a Northern Virginia context, we have convinced ourselves that because we don't make as much as our neighbor, or we don't make as much as some people in Northern Virginia, that we don't have a problem with money. Because we actually don't have a lot because my neighbor's house has a fifth bedroom. <laughs> Thank you for those of you giggling, right? It's, but that's serious. Like, we think about that. So, so maybe money doesn't do much for you because you go, Brandon, I don't have a lot of money. Some of you go, Brandon, I'm a high school student. Brandon, I'm a college student. Dude, I literally, like, I'm really pumped up because I have $6 in my account and Wendy's, I'm coming. I got a coupon. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a free deal at the McDonald's out and I'm coming for you today and I'm excited. Okay, I understand. But what if we took the word money out and replaced it with something like some people crave security? What if we took the word money out and put something like some people crave status? What if we took the word money out and said some people crave large houses? Some people crave a certain vehicle. And you look at that and all of a sudden you go, well, no, wait, wait a minute. That's, you know, you're kind of getting a little personal here. 
And guys, the fact is, like, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying some of you have an unhealthy craving of money. And it's not just money, it's also the word materialism. Because ultimately, money is just a a means to the end, which is more stuff, or better stuff, or a certain type of stuff. Well, Jesus gives the same caution. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this. You don't have to turn to it, but Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Listen to what Jesus says, because some of you are like, "Well, Brandon, that's Paul, and we all know Paul. You know, he's probably having a bad day." Well, listen to what our Lord said: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Paul is actually, when he says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, what he's talking about is what Jesus taught, that where your money is, there your heart will be. That's what the word treasure means there, is it means your money. We think in a cash society or credit card society, but so often we try to just lump money in with our talents and our time. Because we're so scared to talk about money that we say, well, just in case, I I wasn't talking about just money, I was talking about your talents and your time. But today, we're just talking about money. And the reason is because it's not about money. It is about our hearts. In the Bible, it's never about money. It is always about our hearts. God doesn't need your money. It's already His. He owns it. The Bible says that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Which means, it also says, the earth and the fullness thereof is His. So in case you thought you had anything on this earth, you're just borrowing it from our Lord. It's all His. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. And He knows that if He has your money, He has your heart. And if you want to go, no, Brandon, is my heart for God? Trace your your bank account. I know we don't like to pull it up (laughs) unless we just got paid. We scroll through the app. Go ahead, just do it this afternoon. If you're married, do it with your spouse. If you're not, just do it with yourself. Just look up the app, scroll through, and you'll see what you love. I even have an app that separates it for me and puts it into nice little categories to remind me that I love eating out way too much. That our family spends a lot of money on food. Now, guys, like, if you want to know where your heart is, follow the breadcrumbs of your checkbook. Money is not bad. Money's just a tool. It's our hearts that need the work. Money is actually a blessing. But the love of money will lead you away from Jesus. And you go, well, Brandon, you don't know that. 
And, I, and it's not that I love money. I love money because I want to provide for my family. Or I love money because I, I want to give to the church or I want to be generous. And I love money. And for some of us, you go, Brandon, I don't love money. But we would look at your, your time and we would go, yeah, but you really love your job. And why do you love your job so much? Well, because you love the money <laughs> from the job, right? And so it's all connected to our hearts. And so I, I want to just share with you like a few things about materialism that I think are really important for us. And the reason I want to spend some time on this today is, guys, because we live in a culture in Northern Virginia where this is super relevant to us. Like, you may not feel like it is for you, but it is. It's super relevant. So here's the first thing I want you to know if you're taking notes, write this down. Materialism is a trap. Materialism is a trap. It says it right up there in the verse that we read. Right? It says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare or a trap. And here's the trap. You will never have enough money. Ever. Never. You think, like, no, Brandon, I have a goal. And that's great. It's good to have a goal. You should have set financial goals. Like, you should do that. The problem is that goal is always going to keep getting pushed back. And the more stages of life you enter into and the more needs you have, that goal keeps getting pushed back and you never have enough money. I, I watched over the weekend as France is going to raise the retirement age for two years. And I watched the protests go crazy. Do you know what that was about? Money. It's about money. But it's a trap. And here's how it's a trap. Because the enemy knows that if he can get you to revolve every decision you make on money, then Jesus will never factor in. The enemy knows if he can get you to make every decision of your life based on money, then Jesus never gets a seat at the table. And you think the enemy's okay with that? I'd say so. So guys, let me give you some pastoral counsel. Not, I don't get this straight from the scripture, but after following Jesus and planting two churches, I would tell you, guys, we as Jesus followers, we don't make our decisions based on money. When God tells us to do something, we get the opportunity to step out in faith and trust him to do what he's calling us to do. But I need to warn you, this is completely anti-cultural. When you start living this way, you are going to tick a lot of people off. Some of you are going to have parents who don't understand. And they're going to tell you, they're going to use the word stupid. And they're going to tell you, yes, follow Jesus, but you got to make sure you have all of this stuff. Now listen, I'm not saying that, you know, to make stupid decisions, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if God's called you to do something, you can trust him. Amen. You can trust him. Ellen and I planted our first church in 2012. On our wedding day, I quit my job. Okay. Not always the smartest idea, okay? Like people have looked back on that. And said, would you, would you have done it that way again? Because, you know, you were just kind of a, a stupid 26-year-old kid. 
And my answer is, <laughs> absolutely. The hardest part was doing it then. But I look back now on how God faithfully provided through that season, and I would totally do it again. So you know what we did two years ago? We packed up our family and did it again. And here's why. Because Jesus is worth more than money. We got to Impact Church in Northern Virginia, and for the first year, I was receiving the salary that we had set eight years prior as a, a livable salary for a senior pastor in Northern Virginia. And I received that salary for nine months. The health insurance for nine months. For the first time for a year, I had my own office. I went seven years without even having a place to put my books as a pastor. And for those of you who know, as a pastor, that's a big deal. All right? Yeah, that's right. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because then God asked us to give it back. And God asked us to give it to somebody else who was better equipped to pastor and shepherd that church and to come move to Fredericksburg and start all the way over again. And do you know what we said? Yes. Guys, Jesus is worth more than money. You, if we would have made the decision to move to Fredericksburg to start this church based on our finances, none of us would be sitting here right now because we never would have done it. We don't make decisions based on finances. We make decisions from the prayer closet. Amen. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Materialism is dangerous. It's dangerous. You know, Brandon, it's not, it's not dangerous. And I would say, I don't know. Did you watch the stock market this week? Did you watch the banks close this week? Did you watch the former multi-billionaires freaking out this week? Money, materialism, is dangerous because the Bible says it leads to other sins. Your desire for materialism you think is good because you're just going to provide. You're just going to use it to serve God and be generous. But what you don't understand is it can be a blind spot, brother and sister. Because at the same time that you think you're trying to do something good, if the motive of your heart isn't pure, it will lead you to a life of selfishness. It could lead you to cheating, to committing fraud, perjury, robbery, envy, quarreling, hatred, violence, murder. These are all things that sometimes start with a love of money. It's never just about money. It's always about our hearts. The idol of discontentment with money is never satisfied, no matter what offering you bring it. It is an idol that constantly requires your attention and your devotion, and it will never be happy with any sacrifices that you bring. It will always want more. Jesus is a much better God. Because he doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And so when it comes to the motive and the worship of our hearts, we have to and money.
Because I have not seen any singular thing hold people back from following their calling in Jesus more than money. I have never been told no for any more reasons other than money when it comes to inviting someone to come follow Jesus or do something great in his name. Materialism is dangerous. Here's the last thing here is materialism. If you're taking notes, write this down, is destructive. You know, Brandon, these are heavy words. I know. The crazy part is they're not mine. They're from the Bible. Like these are real, so it's destructive. Listen to what this last part that we read says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Before that verse, it says that um, you will pl- it will plunge people into ruin and destruction. The, a blind spot is you trying to convince yourself right now that that would never happen to you. A few years ago, I visited a really good friend of mine who was a youth pastor for almost 20 years. I visited him in prison because of his love for money. He stole a lot of money. And guys, I'm just telling you, I I bet he preached this Please don't sit back and go, yeah, but Brandon, I would never abandon Jesus because of money. Because I bet Judas said the exact same thing. Man, we give ourselves too much credit. The fact is, I would abandon Jesus like this if it wasn't for his grace in my life. Guys, I'm pleading with you today. I'm begging you. Man, please don't ignore a blind spot. And if it's not a thing in your life, then exploring it and getting into it and making sure it's not a blind spot will not harm you. It will just bring you affirmation. And we will celebrate that and praise that. But if it is a blind spot and you do get into it, then we get to confess that and repent of that. And we celebrate that too. It'll be a a joyous occasion to start putting to death some idols. Because man, that word plunge, where he says you will plunge into destruction, is the same word used in the Bible to describe a boat that is sinking because it is so full of fish. If you're a fisherman, that'd be a good thing, right? To have a boat full of fish, but not if it sinks. Not a good thing. Because where do the fish go? Back where they came from. And that's the same word that Paul uses here. He says, man, if you love money too much, you're going to plunge. You're, all the money, all the materialism, the big houses, the land, the bank accounts, the jobs, the 80 hours a week, and this won't last for long, and i got to have this type of house, and we got to keep up with this, and all of our friends have this, and our parents had this, so we need this, and we want this. and we have, All of that you just keeps getting put into the boat. And eventually... It can cause the boat to sink. And it all gets destroyed. The Bible actually says that one of the reasons people walk away from Jesus and never return is because they love money too much. 
Because following Jesus did not provide for them the security that their bank accounts do. Because following God's way did not provide for them the status that climbing the ladder was going to provide for them. That God's approval and pleasure in their life did not measure up to hearing the applause of other people as they climbed up the ladder of success. Guys, I don't want, I don't want to lose any of us. And other believers in Northern Virginia, man, I don't want to lose a single one of them because of a love of money. It does not matter how much money you have when you have Christ. So how do we, how do we fight against discontentment? And worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up, but don't put your notes away because I want you to write this down because I'm going to give you some practical things to do today. How can we fight against this discontentment? Well, number one, live simply. Just live a simple life. You know, this goes against the grain of our culture, but, but go for it. And I'm not talking about the, you know, super trendy, popular, you know, watch TLC shows about simple living and all this stuff. I know all those things exist. I'm not talking about hopping on a trend, okay? I'm talking about live simply so that you can make the gospel extravagant. Did you hear what I said? Live simply so that you can make the gospel extravagant. We want Jesus to be the most noticeable thing in our lives. And we don't want him to get blinded by our materialism. Number two, we give sacrificially. This means freeing up as much money as possible to give to the needs of the nations and to our community and leveraging everything we have for the kingdom of God. And number three, we, we want to thrive eternally. We want to thrive eternally. That means we're not living for this world. We're living for heaven. And it makes me wonder, one day, like the song we sang today about one day we'll gaze upon, you know, transfixed upon His face, we'll gaze at the face of Jesus. Will Jesus look at us one day and say, you know, you well done, good and faithful servant. There's just one, one little problem I had with you. You were way too generous. You didn't provide every time I gave you something. You just kept giving it to other people. Every time I provided for you, you kept finding more needs to help more people out. You know, the only problem I had with you, my son, my daughter, is that while you were on earth, you didn't build a big enough kingdom for yourself. I don't think we're going to hear that from Jesus. So we live eternally, friends. We don't live for this world where moth and rust can destroy. Because a materialistic world will not be one with a materialistic church. We will not reach the nations by living like the nations. It never happened in Scripture, and it won't happen today. Because we can't show that Christ is all satisfying to us while we're out chasing materialism. We can't show Christ is all satisfying. He is all we need. He is all that I want. Man, Jesus, if I just had you, I would have everything that I need. 
We can't show that type of life while we're out here trying to make more money for ourselves. But when we show that, man, I will do anything to make Christ more glorious in my life to other people, man, then we start showing the world that they don't need more money or bigger houses or more lands. We start showing the world that what they need is the only one who will satisfy these cravings. And friends, His name is Jesus. He is alive and He is real and you can have a relationship with Him. He is not a religion to show up and honor once a week. He is a relationship that you can walk with every single day. Do not throw that away for money. There are not enough zeros in, in the world that are worth throwing away the treasure that is Christ. He is a treasure. And today, my prayer for us is that we would look and see that there is a, a crazy need in the world today. And that the treasure we can offer is not just our money, but it is Christ. I want you to know, I just wrote down some statistics today, or not today, but this week to tell you today. Seven billion people in the world, only one out of three claim to, to be a Christian. There are approximately 4.7 billion people on earth right now headed to an eternal separation from God in hell. There are 2 billion of those people who have no access to the gospel. Never even heard the name of Jesus and words like sin and grace don't even exist in their language. I want you to know that there's also a great physical need in this world. That over a billion people live and die in poverty in the world today. And you would say, well, Brandon, my finances aren't that great either. Poverty is defined as making less than a dollar a day. Do you know that if you woke up in America today, you are among the wealthiest 2% of people living on the planet today? No matter if you woke up in a homeless shelter because you had a homeless shelter to go to. Did you know that more than 20,000 people, will, I mean 20,000 children will die of starvation today? These are heartbreaking crises. But they give us an extravagant kingdom opportunity. For our church. Jesus, hang on. I don't know. The question is, are we going to take advantage of these opportunities? Because the reality is, statistics say the average Christian gives 2.5% of their income to their church. Not person, just Christian. The average American church gives about 2% of their budget to missions. This means that for every $100 the American Christian makes, five cents goes to missions. Not on our watch. Doesn't have to be that way in this new church. 
But it's not going to start with our church's budget. It's going to start with our hearts. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.